time for the Friday edition of Hancock and Kelly. You two belong together. John Hancock, Michael Kelly, sponsored by Insperity, HR that makes a difference on News Radio 1120, KMOX. Well, hello there. It's May 12th. It's a Friday, which means Hancock and Kelly are in studio. Here That's John are. Hancock over there. Good morning. Top of the morning. How is everything? Everything it's good. good. Hey, just a quick reminder. Yeah. You know Sunday is Mother's Day. I do. Have you done your shopping? I, it's all good. Yeah? <clears throat> got to get to the nursery and pick up some flowers and it's make all, sure you look good? It's all good. Yeah, yesterday you and I got to spend a little time together on we the did. snooker table after uh, just a horrible defeat for you earlier in the week. Yeah, it was terrible. Yeah, you just got annihilated by your buddy here. Um, yeah. and then oh, yes- by the way, speaking yeah. of that, I want a big shout-out to uh, Gino LaMartina, who sent us those uh, stylish Is that uh, who sent hats. them to us? Yes. Well, thank you, Gino. Yeah. I appreciate it. I wore mine to the uh, pool hall there the other day and uh, had to sign a couple of autographs, etc. <laughs> and then you were headed off, and uh, you got lost on the roads. Why'd you get lost? Well, you know, so I, I went to the concert the other night, um, John Anderson. Yes, he, he's the yeah. guy who's from Yes, who sounds yeah. like this. Great concert. Man, the guy's chops are amazing. Anyway, this GPS business, I'm not the best at directions. I'll freely admit I'm just not very good. Fortunately, but, in the you got a computer in the car there. you got the GPS there telling right. you what to do. Now, here's which is usually fine until you get close to a turn. Uh-huh. And they tell you, turn left in 700 feet. <laughs> what the heck is 700 feet? I don't know what 700 I'm driving a car, and, you know, a quarter of a mile I can kind of conceptualize. Half a mile, I can kind of get that. 700 feet. Yeah. And inevitably, I turn one street before I'm supposed to because 700 feet surely can't be that far. But can't you see on the computer the little blue feet. line that shows you, oh, I'm turning too early. I ought to go to well, you where it shows the, line. the blue line. If you're trying is. to turn your car, you need to have your eyes on the road out there, Kelly. That's a problem. You people are looking at your screens and not. Uh, that's why people have all these accidents out there. So instead, you 700 just, feet. You, you, but you don't look. You're a terrible driver. Uh, and it's well I'm documented here. It's not good. And. You're very horrible with directions. It's not good. So I would think the fact that they have a map there that has a blue line that shows you follow this blue line, and then when you hit the place feet. where you're supposed to turn, why 700 feet? And they're all the same. What would you prefer them say? Two football phone? fields? How about the next street? Well, but you 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 <laughs> did make a turn on the next street, and it was the wrong one. Yes, but it didn't say the next street. It said 700 feet. Yeah, and you know. It's just. Does, it's does not, your GPS talk to you? Yes. Doesn't she, well, she would be saying, or he, I don't know who you got. I, got I, I would like to have Snoop Dogg do mine. Yeah. Yo, Shizzle, it's time to make a left. <laughs> Wouldn't that be awesome? Uh, I'd be all right. Yeah, but I mean, I would think that the computer would be telling you, John, make a left, make a left, and then he probably knows you well enough to be like, oh, he missed it. Not that left. The next <laughs> left. I, but 700 feet, why they came up with 700 feet on these things is a mystery to me. I don't like it. I don't like it at all. What a show we've got coming your way. We're going to do a little politics when we come back. We've got Damian Sneed, a noted composer who has uh, enhanced Scott Joplin's Tremonitia, Scott Joplin's grand opera written in 1911. Uh, He's going to be in studio with us. Opera Theater of St. Louis is producing Damian's rendition of Joplin's Tremonitia. It's going to be fascinating to talk to him. Joe Terrell is going to be with us to Talk about what's happening in the markets and the economy. And Aaron Eberhardt with Kids in the Middle joins us. But now we turn our attention to the Overhead Door Company of St. Louis Traffic Center and Captain Roger Brand. 
Well, it's been a busy, exciting, tragic, uh, sad week in politics, so we'll hop right into it. John, we talked about the Trump town hall. We did. That was uh, quite a disaster. One of the things that came out of that, though, was is President Trump um, refused to say whether or not he wanted to see uh, Ukraine be the victor in the the war that's taking place right now. Yeah. And he doubled down on his argument of the coup and uh, essentially embraced the coup and was praising Ashley Babbitt. I, that's the kind of stuff that, you know, most of the things that I think Donald Trump talks about, whether it be border protection or, you know, stuff that he, he talks a good game on, I don't know whether or not he delivers, you know, a lot of people can find affinity with or common ground with. Yep. But not being solely for Ukraine um, and, 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 you know, embracing the coup, it's just out of touch where, where people are. Well, the Ukraine situation is particularly concerning for me. Uh, what you have, uh, and one of my worries of a second Trump presidential term is that he might actually withdraw the United States from NATO. He's kind of talked about it uh, in the past. It would be Russia's highest priority. Uh, to see the U.S. and NATO dissolve. And, you know, if you let a madman, and Vladimir Putin is a madman, if you let him just waltz into a country and do nothing about it and let him seize territory and take land, uh, history teaches us that dictators, thugs like Vladimir Putin, don't stop there. And we've seen it throughout Human history, and uh, to think that somehow this is different, I think, is misguided. And of course, Ukraine needs to be the victor in the and and maintain uh, control over their homeland from an invading foreign country, which is what this is. And so, uh, I, you know, a lot of Donald Trump's policies on taxes, on immigration, uh, uh, comport with my own. But the foreign policy and the role of the United States and what we must mean in the world, uh, you know, he and I differ on that. He also uh, spent a lot of time on the coup attempt uh, praising Ashley Babbitt, saying that these were peaceful people. It was the largest crowd he'd ever spoken to. Um, and then the the big takeaway was that he would likely pardon most of those people. Your take? Yeah. Well, if you look at the rally at the Ellipse, most of those people didn't break into the Capitol that day. Okay, that, that's true. Uh, but the folks that did broke the law. Uh, they were trespassing, and they were and the ones that were organizing it, and it's pretty clear that the Proud Boys and the Oath Keepers were organizing it, uh, that it was well thought out, that they knew what they were going to do. They formed the column. They moved into the building, and the purpose of them being there was to disrupt, uh, disrupt uh, the act of Congress of certifying the presidential election. That was the purpose that they were doing there. Uh, that's a... That's illegal, and it's illegal if I do it. It's illegal if you do it. It's illegal if anybody does it, and those folks ought to pay the appropriate penalty for that crime, and it was a crime. That's that's how I feel about it. I uh, completely agree with you. Uh, what The big focus in Washington, D.C. right now is the debt ceiling. During Indeed. the Trump administration, President Trump declared the debt ceiling is non-negotiable. Uh, that was paying past debts. Now we uh, fast forward to the Biden administration. The Republicans have decided that the debt ceiling should be negotiable. This is all related to money that's already been spent by our government. We have a duty to raise the debt ceiling. And more importantly, our failure to do so, I think economists on both sides of the aisle say that it could potentially take our economy to the brink. 
um, the Republicans, to their credit, have passed a piece of legislation in the House. Um, they have said that uh, they would like to see extreme cuts made in spending. Interesting now that Biden's president, that's what they've decided. Uh, but at the same time, President Biden has had the same approach Donald Trump had, which is the debt ceiling is non-negotiable. Yep, and that's where we are. And, uh, you know, I hope I hope they find some compromise <laughs> ground here because we cannot continue spending the way we've been spending. We just can't. And that, that was true of the Trump administration. It's also very true of the Biden administration. We can't sustain that in this country. And the debt ceiling bill, because it has to pass, and it does have to pass, is a perfect vehicle for us to enact some spending cuts that wouldn't otherwise pass on their own. There's there's so much momentum behind spending in Washington. It's both parties. Right. And so let's talk about that. I mean, you know, as we do an examination, there's spending that's happening on both sides of the aisle. There was also a huge Trump tax cut that took place that didn't pay for itself. The question is, is if we're in a spot, if, if we're in a spot, really? Yes. Do you think, really? Yes. So we're going into debt and spending to, to give tax cuts to the wealthiest, okay. Everybody got tax cuts. Making cut. sure that veterans' benefits are paid. Everybody got tax cuts. Uh, yeah, and the, the large share of that went to the top. My, where I want to go with this, John, is, is, <laughs> is there an appetite in Washington, D.C. ever to sit down and say, let's restrict spending and let's get a handle on tax cuts that we've made for the largest uh, the, for the wealthiest Americans. You know, I think that uh, I do think the tax cuts were stimulative of the economy. And up until COVID hit, the economy was doing quite well. Um, but you would Donald argue now Trump. that they're not paying for themselves anymore. Uh, well, you can blame COVID if you want. But the reality it. is, is they're not paying for themselves. Well, economic growth over time does. And, and if, if the if the objective of a tax cut is to stimulate economic growth, then, yes, they do pay for themselves over time. Uh, but as it relates to spending, the Republicans aren't going to get everything they've got in this bill that passed the House, uh, clearly. They, they, a lot of the money they're taking out of Joe Biden's pet projects, which, you know, I kind of find funny. But uh, but they've got to get something. And the, Biden's got to sit down with Kevin McCarthy, and they've got to come to terms where both of them can walk away with a win. Uh, and that you, you get the debt ceiling raised, and you make some legitimate cuts to federal spending. And if that doesn't happen, then I do think we could have an outcome, as you described, with, you know, Taking bad us to the brink. Yeah, absolutely. Well, let's focus man, uh, the, mainly now on Missouri. This is the last day of the legislative session. There we are. A relatively unsuccessful session, if you think about it. I mean, obviously, the Highway 70 thing that I complimented earlier was huge. But one of the main focuses the Republicans have talked about since day one was some type of crime bill. Well, they've now moved away from replacing the circuit attorney, although they, one could argue that they helped force the resignation of the circuit attorney. One could. Um, there is no uh, movement on whether or not local control of the police department here in the St. Louis should take place. Uh, you and I differ uh, potentially on that. They've passed no crime bill. Uh, this, uh, But they did spend quite a bit of time on transgendered athletes, and we took care of those six kids. Uh, this was an unsuccessful session for the state of Missouri. Maybe good if you're running in a Republican primary in a place in Missouri I'd never heard of. Yeah, no, I, I think they've had a pretty good session. The bu budget that they passed is a good one. The education is fully funded again. We're uh, supposed to praise them for passing the budget? Yeah. It's our money. It's right. We sent them the money. They've got to allocate it. And they, and they did it. Woohoo! Way to go, guys. And they fully funded education. And we've got the, the I-70 project, which is going to have a real economic impact on the state, a positive one. 
And uh, so I think they've done a lot of things. They've given some tax benefits for senior citizens, very important in this. I think they're going to pass, potentially, uh, some personal property tax reform, which would be good. And, you know, the sports gaming thing looks to Let, me like it's dead. Let's but, hold that for a second. Right. But one of the things that Republicans have been running on for a while, a while is law and order. We're going to walk out of this legislative session without the Republicans passing a single thing as it relates to crime. Well, the whole concept of having the state take over the city of St. Louis Police Department and allowing special prosecutors for Kim Gardner's office was aimed at fixing that problem. Well, that problem is now, you know, potentially fixed with Gardner going away. Now, I would still like to see the state control the St. Louis Police Department. I suspect, I don't know, but I suspect that that was part of the bargain to get Gardner to agree to step down and the and the you know GOP and the and the legislature said okay fine if you'll go away we won't continue to pursue this right now I, I, I don't know that to be true, but I suspect We've had a bad is. year uh, already in St. Louis and in Kansas City, and uh, crime's not only uh, in those two places, but they're the easiest to point to. And there's crime in Springfield. If, yeah. If this continues to go, the governor was going to call a special session to deal with transgendered athletes. Would he call a special session? Could. Should he call a special session to deal with crime? Could. And the rampant uh, accessibility of guns in the state? Uh, he certainly could call a, a special session uh, to focus on crime. Whether he's going to do so or not, I don't know. But, I mean, if you look at the problems that beset the state right now, if crime's not number one, I don't know what is. The de- uh, Sports gaming, we talked yeah. about that. Both uh, the Royals, the Cardinals, the Chiefs, the Blues— have all been pushing for this. Almost every state around us now has passed some type of game. They have. Uh, we continue to put our head in the sand. We've got this internal battle that's going on in Jefferson City. This is something that uh, most Missourians want. This is the type of stuff we'd like to see the legislature focus on. How come they can't get it done? Well, it's it's complicated. And, oh, of course. Uh, it is. You know, you've got 10,000 or more of these um video games that are in uh, gambling games that are in convenience stores in different places throughout the state that are not regulated. And, um, you know, there are folks that believe that industry ought to be regulated and those machines ought to be regulated and they ought to be taxed uh, appropriately. And so those folks are having a squabble. And there's one senator in particular, Senator Denny Hoskins from Warrensburg, who basically has said, if we're going to pass sports gaming, then we need to make sure that all of the gaming that we have in the state is legal, licensed, and regulated. And I, it's a reasonable position for him to take. I think what you're going to have to do here, if you're the Cardinals, uh, is go to the initiative petition route and uh, and take it to a vote of the people. Because I do suspect, I've not seen polling on it, but I suspect it would pass. Isn't it interesting that most of the things that Missourians want, we have to go to the ballot for? The reversal of right to work. The raise in the minimum wage, the funding of Medicaid, the uh, uh, mer- medical and, and recreational marijuana, and now sports gaming. What are we sending these people? We're praising them for doing the budget, something they're constitutionally required to do. Well, but when we the send things, the media topics down there, they haven't gotten time. One of the things they're debating today, and it may pass, is uh, initiative petition reform, which would make, to it, make harder, it even harder. To make it harder to pass things on the ballot. So uh, you, you can't have it both ways. You can't complain about we have too many initiative petitions and then complain that we're going to make it harder. I want I, initiative petitions. Exactly. I do too. I think that's a, an important aspect of citizenry is to be able to do that. And I think in this case, 
Uh, I think the threshold they're debating is what, 54, 57% for right. passage, somewhere Terrible. in there. Uh, but I think I think you could get that on a sports gaming package. And I, you know, that may be the route it has to go. Although, I still think there's a chance that in the 11th hour, they'll figure something out here. Well, hope in one hand and do something in the other. Let me know what you have. Uh, we can't get out of here without talking about George Santos. And, of course, we all know that he got indicted, et cetera. But I thought the interesting juxtaposition between George Santos, yeah. a true problem, now a uh, a person who's been charged with felonies, uh, who's sitting there, the Republicans refuse to remove him. Mm-hmm. At the same time, out in California, you have Dianne Feinstein, who's – literally physically no longer capable to be a United States senator, um, who's there. The Democrats don't want to lose that spot, even for those couple of months that it may take for somebody to appoint. What happened to the backbone of party leadership that would stand up and say, this is what we're going to do? And see you later, Diane. George, you're going to the big house. Yeah, I think it's um, I think it has as much to do about very very thin majorities as it does anything else. I mean, if the Republicans had an 1820 seat majority, I think Santos would have been gone before now. And if the Democrats had a five or six seat Senate majority, Feinstein would be gone by now. Uh, But there you have it. I cannot wait for the rest of this show, Michael. Uh, This is going to be so much fun. But we need to step aside ever so shortly here for the news at the top of the hour. It's the voice of St. Louis, Kamalek. Time for the Friday edition of Hancock and Kelly. You two belong together. John Hancock, Michael Kelly, sponsored by Insperity, HR that makes a difference. On News Radio 1120, KMOX. And welcome back to the Mighty Mighty Mox. I need your help, my friend. What's uh, what's going on over there? Well, I've been on this health uh, journey. I know you. Right? I've been lost exercising like and I've been blah blah blah. So, but last night I decided to treat myself to a little ice cream. All right. So I strolled over to the grocery store, picked yeah. myself up some ice cream. What'd you get? Like a half a gallon? No, I got what? What do they call it about that oh, size? Oh, those little a, pints. A pint. I got a little pint oh, well, of ice, ice cream, and I got um, uh, Ben and Jerry's, and, yeah. and it, it's nothing but calories. Like Liberal. Fifteen hundred calories. Liberal ice cream for Michael Kelly. So Imagine I that. was watching the hockey what, what games. What did you get? I'm a Cherry Garcia. Delicious oh. stuff. And so there I am. I'm sitting there watching the basketball games, watching the hockey games. And I said to myself, I'm only going to eat a third of this. A third of the pint. Right. Then I take it and I put it back in the freezer. And then? It's time to go to bed. Oh. I'm in bed watching a little bit more of the sports. Yeah. What a life I thought to myself, you know what? I I probably ought to go out and have another bite or two. There it is. This went on the whole evening. I'd wake up in the middle of the night saying, maybe I should have another bite. Hmm. This morning. When I'm waking up, I'm getting a little glass of water, and I started thinking about that ice cream. Cherry How do Garcia. I, 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 do, are you obsessed with anything like like I apparently seem to be with ice cream? Well, I like my ice cream. Uh, you made fun of my ice cream. That's because you go with, like, pecan, pralines. Pecan. Butter pecan. Ugh. What's well, the matter with what butter are you, pecan? Are you 90? No, but I'm getting butter there. Pecan. Butter pecan. Butter pecan is Absolutely, you got lovely. cookie dough out there. You got cherry Garcia. Yeah, you I don't got, like the cookie you got dough. all these other flavors. You're dough, you're doing what your grandma used to give you. The, the the cookie dough, the consistency of the cookie dough with the ice cream, it, it, it rubs me the wrong way. Yeah. I don't like it. It's a, now you put a put a nut in there, you put a you put a chocolate chip in there. Mm-hmm. Right, count me in. Yeah, you put mint chip in there. Ooh, that's I'm good. In. Coffee ice cream, I but, love. You, do you like coffee ice cream? No. 
You don't like coffee ice cream? No, I don't like coffee ice what cream. What is the matter with Pretty you, Pretty much Kelly? eliminated coffee from my life. Coffee ice cream might be the finest thing ever no. created. Uh, this is coming from a guy who's into... Butter pecan. Butter pecan. I'm butter upset. pecan It is not but, an old person's ice cream. I guarantee you there is somebody listening today under the... Well, maybe not. But, uh, <laughs> <laughs> but there's nothing wrong with butter pecan. Well, I don't care for it, but I why don't I, you I'm like t- butter pecan? Because it's old. It's you know, like there's all these other better flavors out there that I'd rather have. But the problem is, John, like now, still, as I sit here, I'm thinking, <laughs> Cherry Garcia. I've got about a half a pint of that ice cream there. I'm gonna have that when well, I wait get a minute. home. You didn't. You you got up throughout the night. I didn't eat it. I just would no. I would wake up and I'd think, oh, that ice cream's in there. Should I go eat some? And then I wouldn't do it. Oh. And this morning, before I was coming to see you. I opened the freezer twice and yeah, looked at it, yeah. and I didn't do it. You didn't do it. Maybe I ought to just throw it away. Maybe I should just now, throw it away cream, so that man. I won't eat it. It's not going to kill you. Eat the ice cream. And, you know, what I like doing, uh-huh. now here's a little secret, folks. This is nasty, this people. Is Listen help, to what he's about to tell you. This is going to help you all at home. Uh, so you get up in the morning. Butter pecan. And uh, not the butter pecan. You get up in the morning, and, uh, of course, I've made the coffee the night before. Of course. So all I have to do is I go downstairs, I, and I press that button there, and it, uh-huh. it starts coming. And it's nice, and it's piping hot, man. And uh-huh. it's, you got to wait, you know, seven minutes. And uh, whoosh, I pour that first cup of coffee. Yep. And when it's available to me, I go to the freezer and one scoop of vanilla ice cream. In your coffee? Into the coffee. Folks, it Why would you ruin ice cream by putting it in coffee? Why wouldn't you just eat some ice cream and drink some coffee? Taste. It's a magnificent Essentially, taste. it's your creamer is right. what you're using. Yes, yeah. yes, but it's better than cream because it's ice cream. Yeah, but it's, you, you, it, it's ice cream that it, it dissolves. Gets, well, and... not all of it. See, this is the beauty of it. Oh, if you know okay. what you're doing. So it, some of it, yes, does melt right into the coffee, right. giving it that luscious little light brown appearance. Uh-huh. But then it's like the iceberg that the Titanic hit. Sticking up from the middle of your cup there is the little thing of ice cream. A little, and you can take a spoon. Is that what you do? Yes. Uh-huh. And you can you can you can you can drown it down to the bottom of the uh, of the cup there and you cut Spend yourself a off bit. a little yeah. bit. Put that the ice cream in your mouth, sip on that coffee. Now, the one I do have one uh, apparently uh, annoying um, habit that, that drives one? my Just wife one? crazy. Just one. Okay. Yeah. Apparently I slurp my coffee. Yeah. But it's hot, and you can't like just guzzle. You it's gotta, nasty. People I mean, don't want to hear people eat in the gotta, morning. Well, you gotta you gotta run the coffee, you know, around your lip a little bit there. Yeah, you know, because it's, it's hot and it, it drives. us When I, I was know, a kid, drives uh, crazy. Uh, we, you know, my little sister and I, we'd have to get up and go to school. Most yeah. of the other kids were older than us, so they'd already left. Is that right? And so I guess I must have ate my cereal like a horse. <laughs> Well, I can see that. I can definitely see that. And there is nothing more repulsive than listening to people slurp or chomp away on something, particularly in the morning. I, it, it's just, it seems to be extra aggravating in the morning. I guess. I mean, I don't slurp anything else but coffee. And it's, you know, and I think it's just the way it is. You know, my grandmother used to pour her coffee into the saucer. Why? She would have it in a cup, and she'd have the cup on a saucer, and she would then pour a little bit of coffee into the saucer so that it mm-hmm. would cool. Really? And then she would drink the coffee out, out of the of saucer? The, out of uh, the so, saucer. So maybe this is the same lady who got you hooked on butter pecan. Was she over 80 at the time? <laughs> she may have been. In fact, Debbie Monterey just texted me and no, said, I my mother's that. favorite ice no, cream is that. butter pecan, and she's 82. I rest my case, Your Honor. She doesn't look a day over 70. No. And uh, so now here's the thing. 
uh, my grandmother, the aforementioned saucer pourer, right, uh, was the inspiration of my uh, interest in music. She was a hey pianist. Now. She was a pianist, and uh, uh, Clementine Hendrick was her maiden name, and and she played the piano, had a piano, and um, and really inspired me to play the piano. I grew to have a love of ragtime music, Scott right. Joplin's music, and our guest coming up just around the corner. Uh, is a very noted composer by the name of Damien Sneed, and he has taken Scott Joplin's opera Tremonitia, which will be performed soon at Opera Theater St. Louis. He's added to it uh, a prelude act and a postlude act of original music that he has written to kind of sandwich and explain the opera. I am dying to have this interview, and uh, Damien Sneed is going to be with us when we come back. Michael Kelly and John Hancock on The Voice of St. Louis, KMOX. Hey, welcome back to the Hancock and Kelly Show. For those of you who know John Hancock and know his love of ragtime and what he's done for the Scott Joplin House, and he's played all over town, I'm going to step aside and watch these two guys that are about to interview each other be fanboys. This is incredible. I am honored to be joined in studio by noted composer Damian Sneed, uh, who has written uh, editions and incorporated modern and new uh, pieces into Scott Joplin's 1911 work, Tremonitia, uh, an opera in three acts. It's now an opera in five acts, thanks to Damien Sneed. And this whole journey started your freshman year at Howard University. Yes, uh, it's my honor to be here with you and all the listeners. Yes, it started at Howard University. I was a freshman uh, coming from Augusta, Georgia. Mm. And uh, I was going to Howard because I wanted to follow in my godmother's footsteps, the late Jesse Norman who sang at my parents' wedding after her freshman year. A f- phenomenal singer. Amazing singer. Yeah. And it's interesting, this uh, graduate student in the theater department walked up to me and said, I don't know who you are, but, but this is for you. And I looked at her like she was crazy, uh, and she handed me a brown paper bag of music. I never mm-hmm. looked at the music. I just put it on my shelf in my uh, room in the freshman dorm. And later on that semester, I started working with Sylvia Oden Lee, uh, who was one of the first African-American staff members at the Metropolitan Opera. Right. And uh, she went to Oberlin, and her father was a part of the Fisk Jubilee Singers. And uh, I was saw her walking down the hall. I had met her at the NAACP Axel competition. Uh-huh. And then I just started playing for one particular vocal studio, the vocal studio of Carmen Balthrop. Which was the original Tremonitia in the Houston Grand Opera production. Exactly. That won the Pulitzer. And I found out about that because uh, I went to the library at Howard and just checked out some random videos of operas, and I saw Carmen Balthrop was singing the lead role of Tremonitia, the Gunther Schuller edition. Yeah, right. Uh, and so it was just amazing uh, when I decided to move out of the freshman dorm and go into what we call the Towers by the famous blue Howard University McDonald's. Uh, it's so strange. I looked uh, at all of my uh, books on the shelf, and I opened this music. Let me see. What is this about? And it was actually the uh, piano vocal score to Tremonitia. <laughs> oh, wow. So from that moment on, I felt a very strong connection. What's interesting, the director, Rajendra, uh, happened to write his thesis for his master's degree on Trimanisha that same time in the spring of, I'm dating myself, 1997. Yeah. So we both felt a calling. He said that he wanted to direct the opera one day, so now he's here with OTSL. What a, what a tremendous American work that opera is. Uh, Joplin's orchestrations have been lost, and so Schuler had to create the orchestrations for the Houston Grand Opera. Have you take have you orchestrated the whole thing here? Or are you based off of Schuler or how are you, how did you come I've to I've orchestrated the entire thing you and, did. and guess what's very interesting? Mm. 
uh, I worked at Houston Grand Opera yeah. as composer in residence, assistant cover conductor, and uh, also with their uh, HGO Co. community program. Well, Hurricane Harvey came right before I moved to Houston. And so when I decided to, uh, to you know, get settled in my office, maybe two or three months later, a soprano from Houston, her name is Nicole Heaston, uh-huh. she decided to say, hi, I want to introduce myself. Let me uh, take you around the corner to some things that we salvaged from the basement. She gave me a poster of Porgy and Bess, and she said, mm. but I selected this poster for, for you. And I'm like, okay, don't know who this lady is, but she's just being kind, very uh, uh, hospitable, the Southern way. And she unraveled it and unrolled it, and it was a poster of the Gunther Schuller production oh, wow. of Truman Issue. So I asked the librarian, could they let me see the score? And I got to see the actual uh, full score that Schuller did his by own hand. Thing, by hand. Yeah. And yeah. I was just blown away that I had that opportunity That's and actually tremendous. to work there at Houston Grand And Opera. that was staged, what, in 76, somewhere in there? 76. Yeah. And you know what else is interesting? Mm. Justin Austin, who's playing the role of uh, Scott Joplin and Remus uh-huh. in our story, an opera within an opera. Right. What's interesting is I met him a few years before that playing for the Boys Choir of Harlem their last year, which was founded by the Walter Turnbull, who was in the chorus of Tremonitia at Houston Grand Opera, <laughs> that's, that's along awesome. with Lorna Myers, who's still alive, who was in the chorus. Robert McFerrin was in that production as yes. well, who's it, got St. Louis ties. Exactly. Um, uh, now, so this is fascinating. Joplin's Tremonitia uh, was never produced professionally in Joplin's lifetime. He had one basically dress rehearsal without costumes or scenery uh, to try and entice somebody to invest in it, and it just never happened. Joplin developed syphilis and, and died. Uh, we mentioned that in the opera, too, your, syphilis specifically. Your story is not dissimilar in that you've tried to produce this thing for a while, and this is the first time that it's going to be realized. The first time. Another interesting note, Brandy Sutton, who's playing the role of Trimonisha, uh-huh. uh, and also Freddie Alexander, his yes, wife, that yes. died. It's interesting. We tried to mount this with the Phoenicia International Festival of the Voice, and guess what? Upon the first note of the overture, on stage, lightning hit the tent. And a storm came out of nowhere, and we all had to flee and run. So we never got to uh, realize it. So even uh, in the Zitzproba, in the rehearsals, I'm blown away because we're so close, and it's completed. And one of the arias that Justin Austin sings that uh, Karen Chilton Labretis and I created is called "The Opera Is Complete." Wow, I I just, I'm, I'm just got tingles. Uh, when is this? When is this showing at Opera Theater? When does it begin? The world premiere is May twentieth. May 20th, And it the runs corner. through June 24th, so people have oh, about nice. seven to eight opportunities to see it. Folks, I've seen this performed twice in St. Louis, uh, the last time by Opera Theater 2000. in 2000. And I saw it, when in, I graduated from saw it in the 1980s. Uh, I can't remember where, but I saw it in the night. I think it was 81. Uh, but it, it's just fabulous. The story of Tremonatia is so, for 1911, revolutionary. It's, a, it's about education being the key to... to Bring a, a race out of ignorance, basically, uh, and and a woman is the leader. It's that is a that was revolutionary stuff revolutionary in revolutionary in the Reconstruction era, and isn't that so prescient and apropos now? With uh, we're seeing now in the world that uh, female leaders are having an opportunity to uh, take the reign. I remember uh, from the Philippines, Aquino. Uh, how she was a leader, and I always revered her, and I used to ask my parents who were born in the 30s mm. uh, about her. And now here in America, we have a vice president. We're seeing uh, leadership being shared 
Uh, people are coming out of their boxes because of education, because of understanding of other cultures and languages and uh, ways of thinking. So it's it's incredible. And the superstition and religion is incorporated there, yeah. but also the theme of community. That's very, very strong in the opera and what we wanted to create in our arc and story. Community, line. family, uh, another theme that runs through that. Ned and guess and, what else? Ned and Monisha find this baby. They found the baby yeah. under a tree. Yeah. Monisha, tree Monisha. Yes. And I have a special connection with that because I was adopted. Oh, wow. So there's so many uh, points of commonality in this opera that I feel like it was it is a part of my destiny and calling. Joplin himself was very well educated. Um, he wrote a piece called The School of Ragtime. It was an instructional manual, 1908. And what I love about it is his write-ups for each of the exercises. <clears throat> you can tell, very thoughtful, uh, extremely articulate. And they said that the people that knew Joplin, he barely spoke above a whisper. He was very serious, and his, he would often just kind of drift off into musical thought. And he'd begin scribbling things on a, on a napkin, perhaps. And uh, he was a really interesting guy who became, later in life, very conscious uh, of his race and the importance that that played. He, he definitely was a true savant. Uh, it's very interesting. I was speaking with Eric Sedgwick, a phenomenal uh, pianist who's on faculty at Manhattan School of Music with me in New York City. And we incorporate the piano on the stage, but also in the orchestration. So wow. there are moments where you hear Bethina and Chrysanthemum and Maple Leaf Rag and Entertainer. But what's interesting, we were discussing after uh, one of the orchestra readings that Joplin had to have excellent technique. And uh, for the pianists out there, his fingerings had to be correct in yeah. order to sustain the positioning and the movement of ragtime and to keep everything in rhythm and to move fluidly uh, with, with effortlessly. So it's just amazing. There were better... Pianist than Scott Joplin in the in the ragtime era. Mm -hmm. Tom Turpin here was phenomenally powerful pianist. Uh, Louis Chauvin was yes. they said supposed to be the best. Yes, Joplin himself later in life actually took lessons to learn because he composed like Mozart away from the piano, and he would have to take lessons to learn some of his later pieces like Magnetic Rag, which is just a masterwork. It's a masterwork. I've I've looked at the score, and to me, it also reminds me a lot of uh, Chopin. Yeah, the way that the left hand moves. And now, which sort of uh, set the precipice, uh, even after blues, into what we call the the tritone, you know, mm -hmm. the augmented fifth. At one time, previously in Western music history, that was the core, the bad chord that you could right. be excommunicated from the church yeah, yeah. if you played that interval. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, and, and Joplin, uh, the harmonies. I'm thinking of "We Will Trust You" as our leader. The way the harmonies weave in and out of that thing. It's, 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 it's a choral masterpiece. It is. And some people would think that it goes on and on, but he's constantly changing the voicings, and something is always uh, blooming and blossoming, and uh, just opening up every time you hear the chorus sing and then Trimonisha sing a line in between. It's a masterpiece. It is. And Joplin was a genius. His his chromaticism, uh, the use of chromatics in composing, uh, was way ahead of its time. And also how he quickly uh, transitions in between scenes uh, within one aria, within one number, as people think. Some people will say, oh, it's not opera, it's musical theater. But it's, it's amazing compositionally, the structure, how... Uh, he is such a genius in how he just changes into different keys and modes as well. Well, wow. our guest is Damien Sneed, a great composer who has taken Scott Joplin's Tremonitia, enhanced it. I can't wait to see it. It starts May 20th at Opera Theater St. Louis. Plenty of seats available. Um, I'll be I'll be there for the first night for sure. And uh, 
good good luck to you and congratulations to see this dream realized. Thank you so Amy. much. Thank you. It's been a pleasure. When we come back, Joe Terrell is going to join us. Michael, and what's he going to tell us about? Well, we're going to talk about the economy and how you should be investing your money in this crazy environment we're in after this on KMOX. Now, back to Hancock and Kelly, sponsored by Insperity, HR that makes a difference on News Radio 1120, KMOX. And welcome back to the Hancock and Kelly show on KMOX. We'll take you all the way to 10 o'clock. Then we'll be joined by the show. The show. Another other than Chris Ranji and Amy Marks, of course. We'll pitter patter around with them a little while. Then we'll get out of here before they talk about what's happening. And then uh, we'll be back with Dave Glover later today. Incredible. It's Hancock and Kelly all we're on, day we're on, on Camelot. We're on here all the time because the price is so convenient. Yes. Yeah. We go to the celebrity guest line where we're joined by Joe Taylor. Terrell. He is the owner of Terrell & Company, an investor inv- investment advisory firm right here in St. Louis. Mr. Terrell, thanks so much for taking some time to visit with us. Uh, good morning. It's been a crazy time out there right now. We all have been losing, uh, living through this time of rapid inflation. Uh, we continue to see unemployment numbers stay in a good spot. The economy seems to spike up and down. What should an everyday investor be doing with their money and their 401k? They should be very cautious right now. Uh, there are any number of things on the horizon that could cause investment prices to go another 10 or 15% lower. When you say they should be cautious, what does that mean? Because most of us have our, uh, you know, money in portfolios, and maybe if we're younger, we're really into Tesla or or some of these up and coming stocks. Do you mean diversification? Do you mean st- bonds? What what do you mean by being cautious? I mean, make sure you have a pretty good amount of funds in liquidity in a money market fund in a short term ninety day treasury bill or a very short-term corporate bond, and by short-term I mean 90 days, six months at the most. If prices come down, you'll have plenty of capital to buy at much lower prices. And when we continue to watch inflation now, seems to be under control with the Fed uh, having raised interest rates. That's good if you're buying bonds, uh, as you uh, discussed but uh, is the the uh, high uh, interest rates, is that also what may be stifling the economy as it relates to stocks? Well, it is uh, to a certain extent. The markets are positioned right now that they actually believe that the Federal Reserve Bank will be cutting interest rates by this fall and cut interest rates through the end of the year. Uh, we don't believe that. But the markets are set up for that. So whether or not they're going to be able to get inflation under control comes back to uh, whether wages and housing prices, which are the two stubborn parts of inflation, wages are continuing to go up at 5% a year, which is good. And housing prices are continuing to go up, whether it's owner's equivalent rent. If those two moderate, then inflation can come back down. Without those two moderating, inflation is going to be sticky around a 4 or 5% a year level. 
Joe Terrell is our guest. He's the president of Terrell and Company here in St. Louis, an investment house. Uh, so much talk in the political realm these days, Mr. Terrell, about the, the debt ceiling increase and what might happen if that's not resolved. Uh, from your standpoint, how big of a deal is this? It's always a big deal. Uh, it's not unusual. Uh, since 1960, there's been 78 different times we've had to deal with this. Right now, most people assume they'll deal with it again. They might come down to five minutes to midnight, but they will deal with it and they'll raise the debt ceiling limit and a spending program along with it. However, uh, it can't uh, prevent you from worrying about it. What if they won't agree? What if they try and have an unprecedented situation where we default on our debt and they try and blame it on each other because they think it'll be successful politically? So it's always something to watch and worry about. But at the moment, we think they'll come to an agreement at five minutes of midnight, as they always do. Seems like every day we wake up, uh, we hear about another regional bank failing. Uh, almost all of us have got some some type of money in regional banks. Are you concerned about the banking industry as a whole taking our economy down with these failures? Uh, no, that's not uh, a worry. But this is an issue that, as a society, we're going to have to figure out uh, how we're going to do this because this is a modern problem. First, to set up what happened when interest rates were at zero, banks with deposits, not all of them, but some of those banks went out and made long-term commitments at, let's say, two and three quarters, three percent interest rates. Now that interest rates are five percent, those investments, many of them government bonds, are trading at 80 cents on a dollar. So the modern part of the problem is people, uh, major funds, uh, hedge funds, international people are able to sell the regional bank stock short, which means they profit if the bank stock can go down or will go down. And ultimately, they'll really profit if the bank goes broke and out of business. So they then take to social media, and on social media, they put out a tremendous amount of material, some of it true, some of it false, but basically suggesting to people, you should get your funds out of that bank. It could go broke. And in today's world, it only takes people with a click of a mouse to move their funds yeah. out of there, consequently it's not a problem. The banks are not loaded with bad loans. This is not a repeat of what happened in 08, 09. Right. But nonetheless, if they can scare enough people and the people click their mouse and get out of it, it's a problem that all the banks have to worry so, about and deal with. No doubt. So here's here's the question. You know, most of us have a 401k at our house or at our office. We don't really know what we're doing do you offer services to the regular investor? And if so, where can people find you? Well, we're uh, 
Uh, on the internet, our website, uh, terrellandcompany.com. Terrell has only one L. It's Most of it has two, but we're T-E-R-R-I-L. And we have a website and, of course, local phone numbers, uh, et cetera. What is that phone number? 314-965-0344. Thank you so much, Mr. Terrell. He's Joe Terrell from Terrell & Company. It was uh, good to hear some reassurance there, John. But he also tells us that uh, we may be living through this a little while longer till housing prices and wages come back under control. Yeah, I mean, it's a, just an unsettling time. And uh, But, you know, if the, the stock market over the long haul. The historical yeah. long haul is going to perform, and, you know, you can't get too exercised. So there. these money guys remind me of the professors that we used to have back in college. You know, they know too much, uh, and, and they say all this stuff. I, I, I understood a little bit of that. I'm more concerned about the debt ceiling being raised than it sounds like he is. He thinks that we're going to go to the brink and that this will ultimately be resolved. And I don't know, probably, but I, I hope he's right. I think he's right about that, uh, probably right about that. And it's all about the liquidity, Michael. you got to yeah. have uh, – how, how liquid are you right now? I have zero dollars in my pocket. Uh, oh, I, I got, got a credit card. I got this whole liter of club soda over here. Because I'm uh, counting on you buying lunch today. Very liquid. I'm in. He's John Hancock. I'm Michael Kelly. We're going to step aside. We're going to visit with Erin uh, Eberhard. She's with Kids in the Middle when we come back after this. That? But first, John, what time is it? Well, Michael, it's uh, 944, brought to you in the morning by Jerry Kelly. Hey, it's the Hancock and Kelly Show. Uh, John Hancock, uh, my sister Erin Eberhard here was kind is. enough to come in studio with us. It's nice to have It's nice to have a Kelly in here I can tolerate. It's, yeah, there's, uh, five, there's five other ones that I you know. can choose from. Erin is number four of six of us. Um, and she is, oh. well, I'm her favorite brother because I'd be the only this brother. Yeah. And there's five of my sisters. You know, we do the uh, Friday selfie on Friday mornings. I am aware that you do that. You yes. are going to get to participate in the Friday selfie today. We're going to take a picture of me and Aaron and send it out wow. to the whole family. All right. Well, I'll be the but but I'll besides be the chubby rose. Besides them. having Aaron in here to talk about how I am magnificent and probably the greatest brother to ever walk the place of the earth. Oh, yeah. She does a really important job here. She is the CEO of Kids in the Middle. Erin, what is Kids in the Middle? Kids in the Middle is a nonprofit organization, and we provide therapy services to kids and parents whose um, families are going through divorce, separation, or remarriage. What? Go ahead. You think that, you know, divorce affects almost one out of every two marriages yes. at some level. Yes. Uh, and and oftentimes those marriages break when the children are young or at a very... Um, you know, difficult stage of life, and it's a very difficult thing for them to go through. Uh, how many kids does your organization serve in this way? Last year, we served about 2,000 families. So, or 2,000, I, I shouldn't say families, 2,000 kids or parents. Right. So, 2,000 in total. Yeah. A lot of people. What does this services mean? What uh, What would somebody who's going through a divorce, they've got a child, and they're like, boy, this has got to be complicated for them. If I signed them up or contacted kids in the middle, what kind of services do you provide for them? So we provide group counseling, individual counseling, and we do a school outreach counseling program. So parents would call and uh, let us know what's going on. We One of our one of our stipulations is that we're not responsible for telling the kids that their parents are getting divorced. That has to have already happened. But once that happens, we um, meet with the children. We meet with the parents. We determine what the best course of action is, what the best services that they need are. 
and we we start the kids on them. And one of the things that is very unique about our organization is we provide group counseling for the kids. So mm. a lot of other organizations or a lot of other counseling services, you just have one-on-one with a therapist. Our organization will do that initially, and then the kids, if they're ready, they go into a group counseling session with their peers. Yeah, and you would think that the, the group counseling session with other kids that are going through precisely the same thing is of real value for these Absolutely. kids. They can see they're not alone. They can Absolutely. see this happens. Uh, not all divorces are the same. Some are quite nasty. Uh, some is just a recognition that the things didn't work and the parents are very, you know, amicable on the way out. Uh, are, are those kinds of situations uh, provide present different kinds of challenges for kids in the middle absolutely we get all we get the whole gamut of uh, situations you know we do have some very amicable parents come in and really want to work together and then we get some that have a very difficult time to do you know doing that and so we have to take each individual family each individual child and we determine again what the best course of action is we do have um, services for parents as well we have individual counseling for parents workshops uh, co-parenting classes co-parenting uh, joint parenting opportunities so there's there's a lot of different depending on the situation there's a lot of different services that we can provide for john, them john made the point this is happening in almost one in every uh, two marriages yes. we're, that we're hearing from divorce there may be somebody out there who's hearing about it right now um what what is the best course of action that do they call you do they reach out on the website because a lot of parents need some help in navigating this as well. Absolutely. This is a terrible time in people's lives. You know, I, I went through this myself and it was horrible. And so you want to have as much resource and as much help as you can get. Kidsinthemiddle.org is our website. They can contact us. We're on Hanley Road in Maplewood. And you call us up. We have a great clinical care coordinator that will take the information and we will determine from there what is needed for the families. Is there a cost associated with reaching out to kids in the middle? There is a cost associated with therapy services, but we don't turn anyone away either. So we have a sliding scale for families that maybe cannot afford the services. We get funding through different um, individual donors, corporations, grants, um, and you know, we we as much as we can get from the community is going to help the majority of the family. What's the length of time? So let's say me and the missus are you know, <laughs> and the kids uh, are, are coming into the program and they're seeing a therapist, and then they get into the group counseling session. How long would a typical uh, child in a situation like this be part of Kids in the Middle? We take it case by case. Um, I would say that a typical amount of time can be anywhere from 12 weeks up to, I don't know, it could be six months that the kids are in the program. It just really depends yeah. on what they need. You've got a fundraising campaign coming up? We do. We have a program called Giving for Kids that is next week on the 16th and 17th. And we it's a 24-hour campaign, basically trying to just raise awareness of our organization and get as much funding as we can from the community. Why don't you give out that phone number and website address? So the phone number is for Kids in the Middle is 314-909-9922. And the website address is kitm.org. 
And if anybody out there is wanting to donate, they can do that now. They don't have to wait until our campaign starts. They can do that now by going to that website and clicking donate yeah, now. Yeah, and you're a charity, so well, the contributions are tax deductible, et cetera. Absolutely. And many people who've been through divorce know how tough it is. They know how it's been to had been a kid in that instance. Maybe sling $10 to what is a very worthy uh, service and charity that my uh, sister, I'm proud to say, is uh, headquarters. Head- Quarterbacking. She's running. The, she's running the place, Michael. And, yeah, uh, kind of like me around here. Uh, yeah, not quite, not quite. Aaron, good luck to you. Thank you. Uh, Thanks for having me on. Oh, it's our pleasure to have you on, and I hope I wish you well in your Giving for Kids campaign. Thank you. Yeah, you know, divorce, Michael. It, it's uh, it's just traumatic for everybody involved, obviously, right. and you know, kids that go through it, it's. Um, it's tough. Well, and there's no cookie cutter way that a divorce goes down, you know, so it's going to be varying for every individual. I have lots of friends, family members of mine who've gone through divorce. Yeah. And it's nice that there's a resource out there that you can reach out to and maybe help you guide through how to make the proper decisions for kids in particular who are caught stuck in the middle, kids in the middle. Speaking of being stuck in the middle, we're stuck at the bottom of the NL Central. These are. Cardinals are terrible. Well, they're not terrible. They're not playing up to their ability level uh, at the moment. I don't know that they're going to be able to get it together before uh, it's too late, and I'm afraid it may be too late. What are we, uh, 13 and 25, something like that? Um, so it's uh, it's a problem. We're in Boston. Boston's actually played pretty well this season. But, the, the you know, the Cardinals are going to have to win two out of three, three out of four for a while before we can start thinking seriously about challenging for a playoff spot. The uh, – National League Central, though, if there's a place to be bad, that's the place to be bad because yeah. uh, it's not going to take that much to win it. But, John, you you follow this closely than I am, but I'm caught up in this whole Contreras saga. You know, it seems like he is being scapegoated for uh, a rotation that's just not up to par. Well, the rotation's numbers haven't gotten any better, uh, really, since the, the switch was made. So we've won a few games so that's helpful. I think you're going to see Contreras back behind the plate sooner rather than later. I don't think this is going to be a multi-week thing. Why it was handled the way it was handled is another story. Yeah, because this organization is not one that you typically associate with you know, a lack of direction. Right. And uh, the, the multiple stories coming out and so forth, it's uh, it's it's a hard look. It's a tough look to see. At times it feels like the Cardinals are the only sports count, uh, team in town, even when we've had others, because they are performing well. But to your relief, folks, the St. Louis Soccer Club is playing against Chicago this weekend. It's an afternoon game, so Tomorrow. you'll be able to turn in. Y98. At noon on Joey Y98. Joey will be there. Of course, you can watch them. It's a fun team to watch. You can also stick around and listen to Hancock and Kelly with the show after this. We're going to come back and visit with Dave Glover. And, John, I have to remind everybody, yes. at 8.30 on Sunday mornings, yeah. probably the best most quality television well, you know, we don't like show to in the region uh, we don't like is, to is, is, well, aptly titled Hancock and Kelly. It's a fine show, and I would uh, heartily recommend it to all of you. Uh, thanks so much for listening. It's been a delightful day here on KMOX, as it always is on Friday mornings. We love spending this time with each and every one of you. I want to thank our man, Drew, running the board today. Great job. And let me remind you that KMOX News Time is 9.57. Brought to you by Jerry Kelly.